everybody talks about collaboration. It's a word we all use. You know, I love to collaborate. I'm a great collaborator. But at the end of the day, when we're talking about sports medicine and we're talking about working within the network with different types of professionals, we have to be able to answer the question, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to collaborate? What does that look like? And how do we put the athlete at the center of care so that we collaborate in the best way possible? Stay tuned to find out the answer. Welcome to Therapists in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner. Welcome back to Therapists in Motion podcast. This is Dan hosting this afternoon. I am joined by Becca Hibbert. Hello. And K2. Hello. So as Becca so eloquently alluded to in our introduction, we are going to start today's topic uh, around collaboration. And our thought process behind that is because, you know, we are back in with school starting, with high school, middle school, college athletics, professional athletics kind of kicking off. And so we thought it would be a good idea to just kind of set the stage for all of you, reset some expectations on really what it means to be in the environment of sports medicine with the athlete at the center of care. This is something that was kind of the the spark for our huddle conference with collaboration as the main focus and bringing in all sorts of experts from various fields to share their knowledge with, again, the main focus of the athlete at the center. So first question, Becca, collaboration might be one of your favorite words. True. But we also know that the definition of collaboration is vast and the components of collaboration are more are, are even more important. So can you just kind of enlighten our listeners on how throughout your career working in sp- sports medicine in Tennessee before you came here to, to or Kentucky, excuse me. Wow, rude. Before you came here to Arizona. Sorry. <laughs> They're kind of the same state to me. Sorry, Josh <laughs> Davis. Um you know, what you've seen and kind of how you've built the the pipeline of what collaboration means for our listeners. Yeah. So as I talked about at the beginning, you know, it's a word everybody likes to use, especially when you're talking about sports medicine. Everybody says, oh, I like to collaborate. And that's great. But what does that actually mean? And so if you hire people, here you go, everybody, this is a great question to ask on an interview to ask somebody, what does collaboration actually mean to you? Um, And if you're about to interview, I'm going to give you a little bit of a cheat sheet here of some things that you should be telling people because you should be doing these things. First and foremost, what I always say is when you're collaborating, it's not about you. It's about first of all, the athlete at the center of care, and how are you helping the other individual that you're working with? You don't know the needs of other people unless you ask. If you assume, a lot of times we're going to assume wrong or we don't fully understand that person's role. And so we just go in and just do what we think we need to do instead of what they actually need. So we need to support people. Then it becomes teamwork. Ultimately, 
you cannot put the athlete at the center of care if you're putting yourself at the center of care as the professional, regardless of what profession you have. So teamwork requires give and take. It requires listening to somebody else. It sometimes requires admitting that you might be wrong about something. Ultimately, communication becomes such a huge thing, right? We talk about it all the time and everybody gets annoyed because it's like, oh God, here we go again. We're talking about communication. We talk about it because we all suck at it and we could all be a lot better about communicating within that network that the athlete is working with. And the last thing I'm gonna mention here is trust, right? You build trust, which is ultimately how you build relationships, through communication, through teamwork, and through support. If you want to get to trust, you have to build those things first. So, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go trust first, right? Because I think that's one thing that over my 11-year career here at Spooner that, that I have ebbed and flowed in my comfort level with trusting other individuals but also having other individuals trust me. So K2, what, what are some strategies that you would have for any therapist to start building trust within the network of sports medicine? Great question. Just like Becca said, you know, we always say we wanna collaborate, but just talking about we want to do it, just talking about idea itself, it's not going to accomplish anything. So we have to have goal to collaborate, but we have to come up with certain strategy to create some actions. Then I believe it's more a secret action, so that when you make action, you're going to look back, it's uh, aligned with your goal and strategy. Um, Becca said a great thing. Um, Instead of just you are sending out information, you want to put yourself into the receiver's mind, what would be helpful to them? So that actually we're going to deliver the information they really want. It would be helpful, so that's going to help them. Then also, I think sometimes we may communicate something good about the athletes, but also we have to create some type of transparency. I believe that's gonna earn the trust so that when things are not going well, when things are going good, at the same time, when we are struggling, maybe we ask for the help. That itself, I think showing that transparency, honesty, and vulnerability, I think that would earn trust easier. I think that's a great thing, and I think for us that's often hard to do, right? Because we don't want to show that we don't know what we're doing, right? And we don't want to show that perhaps we haven't helped our athlete or patient get to the point that they should by X duration in their care. But that vulnerability of saying, you know what? I can't read every human in that I work with. I don't know everything, nor will I ever know everything, allows the opportunity for somebody to say, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? But it doesn't happen if they don't know that you're struggling or you don't send a progress report or an email or a text message or make a phone call to say, hey, this is where this athlete is and, and they're stuck and they've been stuck here for this amount of time. I really don't know what to do. What do you think? Right? I also think that's hugely important when you're working with an athletic trainer um, because 
they may see things and they do see things very differently because of the stage and the setting that they're in. So Becca, I kind of want to ask you a question in, from your perspective as an athletic trainer. When it comes to developing trust with an outside professional, whether that's a physician, an athletic training trainer, a fellow athletic trainer, a physical therapist, a strength coach, what are some things that you really rely on to help you develop that level of trust? One of the biggest things for me is actually getting to meet the individual. Um, for example, I mean, obviously, if you're in an athletics department, you might have a strength coach, you might have a physical therapist, other athletic trainers, right? So you work with those individuals, you understand like where their strengths are, what your strengths are, weaknesses, all that stuff, which is great, right? That's how you build a team. But when you're talking about people coming in from the outside, if all I'm ever receiving is an email, and that's great, right? Thank you for the communication. I'm not saying don't do that, please continue doing that. But I never get to meet you in person, or we never get to connect over one of those things like you're saying, well, maybe I don't know where to take this athlete, or you don't know where to take this athlete, but man, if we get on the phone together and we're honest about that, and then we start kind of throwing ideas back and forth, and you realize that it's two people that just want the best for the athlete, that's once again where that trust is built. But I always tell people, um, especially where we work here, because it is you know mostly outpatient clinic setting, I always say to them, you gotta get outside of your clinic. When you really wanna network, when you really wanna build relationships, you gotta get outside. And that's the same for athletic trainers. It's easy to get um, you know caught up in your department. Obviously you're there a lot and I totally get that. But don't be afraid on maybe some downtime to go meet some of those PTs or MDs or DOs that you've been talking with and actually get to meet them face to face so you can build more of a relationship and start to build even more trust. I think that that component is crucial. And early on in my career, that was something that was extremely intimidating for me because I didn't do well with cold calls. I probably still don't do very well with cold calls. Shocker to some people either. that I work with. But when you go in with, a, a specific purpose, you know, mainly let's say in this situation for the betterment of the athlete and not going in necessarily with the understanding of I'm going to grow my network. So I have all these other people. No, you go in there with the, with the attitude of this is, I'm going to do this because this is what my athlete needs me to do and what I need to do for them and sh to show them that I'm committed to helping them get better. When you go in with that attitude, all of a sudden there's this ease of apprehension at least that was my experience of like, wait, now I'm there because all I care about is how I can help my athlete. And I'm going to go in with a few questions in mind, but mostly there to listen and hear what that physician or the athletic trainer or the strength coach really has to say and how they're communicating to the athlete to get them to understand the process or perform said task. And so for those of you who are like, man, I, 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 I'm very comfortable inside my four clinic walls. I don't like to get out. I can totally relate to y'all. And <laughs> I would encourage you to challenge yourself to find that one athlete where it, it, it's, it's a sport or it's a patient with, with a, a task or a desired goal that you are very passionate about and start there because that, that's, an, that's a quote unquote an easy button to go and meet somebody within that network, whether it's sports medicine or not. It's never bad to build your network. 
you can never have too many connections, but start with somebody that you're already comfortable with or, or a, a patient type, an athlete type that you're comfortable with so that you can have that be a little bit easier first step. I kind of want to transition a little bit now to something that still obviously is focused on sports medicine with the athlete at the center of care, but navigating difficult situations, okay? So let's say you're working with a high school football player. It's football season now, so high probability that there's going to be high school football players coming through your door, right? And you've worked with this patient's parents before. Okay, so the parents trust you and you see the patient and you determine, yeah, you know, they need my services and you communicate to the athletic trainer and hear nothing back. Okay, so that's kind of step one. And step two is you communicate to the referring physician and the referring physician tells you, okay, two, I want you to keep that athlete. I don't want that athlete under the care of the athletic trainer. How, what, what's your strategy in navigating that situation to ensure that that athlete stays engaged in their sport, stay engaged with that athletic trainer, but also you're kind of helping to drive that communication and the care for that athlete. Great question, because that is the things we all encounter that in our daily practice. So key is, just like Becca said, communication. So you're the one to start establishing that communication to include that other member of the sports medicine team, in this case, athletic trainer at the school. So that um, definitely we need to be on the same team so that what physician decided, that is a big plan. We're going to create that and we're going to acknowledge. So we're going to share that information. At the same time, eventually the athlete will go back to the team. So that setting up the goal and also create a timeline and set, set up the strategy, the expectation to how to bridge a gap between from where we are and maybe a month later or two months later going back to the practice. So that creating the plan, then start communicating on a regular basis, maybe weekly basis, so that give them um, um, uh, updates so that they understand. So nothing like people usually don't like is like very last minute some information was thrown at you, good or bad, not ready for it. So that actually setting up the communication is almost feels like planting the seeds in a way to develop that relationship with them. Then we're gonna, sometimes we, not, we are not gonna hear from them. But when we hear, then maybe we can elaborate, you know, uh, elaborate and create more collaboration to make some better work and stuff like that. So um, I believe the thing is we're going to initiate to establish the communication. That's the key. I'm just going to add to that. Um, so I totally agree with K2, right? Consistency. I can't tell you how many times I haven't heard back on things, but ultimately it's my job to be consistent with my communication, but it's also important never to assume anything, right? So the physician has said something to you about somebody you don't know, and you're like, uh, okay, but you don't know why they've said that. You don't know what that person's job is or what it looks like or anything like that. So I always tell everybody, don't assume that you know something just because of one small remark, right? You need to remain consistent 
And then you need to hopefully, you know, with that consistency, like K2 said, maybe you get to know that athletic trainer and you just realize like, that's not the way they communicate. Maybe they prefer doing stuff together. Maybe they're the only one at a high school. And so they don't feel like they even have time for the physical therapy. So they're just so excited to be included in knowing what's going on. So when the athlete comes back, they can say, okay, your PT talked to me and this is what we're doing, or this is why you can't play. So just always remember, regardless, I always say sports medicine is a small world um, because everybody knows everybody. Be careful never to assume just because of what one person said to you. You want to kind of learn on your own, so to speak. And build that, that relationship because once again, putting the athlete at the center of care is still working with the people the athlete has worked with. Could I add to that? Yeah. That consistency, I love that because that is the key to earn the trust, you know. So definitely when you promise something to the other end, always, always follow through with action. That is another way to earn the trust too. And just like you mentioned about actually meeting the person, meeting the person is actually doing you're doing something you're expected, but plus extra. So that in addition to consistency and some plus extra here and there, that's going to definitely help that develop the communication and relationship and trust. So that as we talk about, you know, we have busy schedules. Sometimes we drop the ball on the communication. We can always improve. That is why when we are able to establish great communication, we're going to stand out. So that even the challenging situation, you know, challenging uh, component, that is uh, our communication sometimes. But when we own that communication, I think we can definitely earn the trust from the other end. Then that's going to create that more positive spiral. Then we can create better relationship, team, then end up creating great collaboration. Yeah, so... uh you know, that question I posed to you, I think, is something that we've all encountered. And, and a lot of us, if we haven't encountered it, you will. It's, it's going to happen. The, the thing I'll add there is, to Becca's point, let's say this is the, you know, this is the high school football player. That, like she said, this, this may be a situation where it's a huge high school and the athletic trainer is caring for football and volleyball and cross country. And, and they've got 200 or 250 athletes under their care during the fall season they may be so grateful that you're caring for that, that one athlete in this situation. And again, like Becca said, don't assume that it's because of something that they're not good at or that they can't handle it. Perhaps the physician already knows that the athletic trainer is overwhelmed because they work with them on a regular basis. And they're saying, Hey, I want you to keep this athlete because I already know that he or she is overwhelmed and can't handle this. But on the flip side, to Becca's point, if you know or have a greater understanding of how their day goes, perhaps there is an avenue where that athlete can be engaged with the athletic trainer at the high school level, but on a level that is realistic for him or her to manage, right? It may be, hey, it, you know, are they okay to be at practice? Yes, they are. Awesome. Can they be in my training room 30 minutes before practice doing the bike or some stretches or, you know, part of their home exercise program, but they're doing it in the athletic training room kind of under my guidance. So at least I see how they're doing and I can check in. And maybe if you're only seeing them a couple times a week, but I'm there in my training room every day, I can give you a quick feedback or, you know, email, text, phone call, whatever, or send the message back with the athlete to be like, hey, Dan needs to check this out or K2 needs to check this out. 
just because the physician said X doesn't mean that you still can't have other people assist in that care and give realistic expectations as long as you ask, what can you do? Is this realistic? And can you give me feedback on the back end, right? If I think about uh, back in the good old days when I was acting as a student athletic trainer, right, and, and interacting with my coaches, if I didn't give a status report to a coach every single day, shame on me, right? And it, it, was my ex, it was my responsibility to do that. I often think it's kind of like what K2 and Becca said from a consistency standpoint. When you're consistent, that's how you build trust, plain and simple. Regardless of if the information that you're conveying is, hey, the, the athlete is doing awesome or the athlete's struggling, if you are consistent with the delivery of that information on whatever cadence they desire, right, daily, weekly, monthly, every follow-up visit, right, that's where you're going to develop that level of trust because if then there is a snag at some point prior to that said level of expected consistency, you can reach out and set the physician or athletic trainer up to not be completely blindsided. Which is huge. Um, as somebody who worked on the physician side of sports medicine at my previous job, you know, I've said it a lot, but I can't tell you how often when there was no communication, the physician would get very frustrated because somebody would walk in, you know, unfortunately it's usually when they're not doing very well, would walk in and the physician had no idea that that was what they were about to walk into. And ATs, PTs, strength coaches, physicians, right? We all want to feel like we know what's walking in our door at times, um, which is not always possible. But ultimately, if somebody else is seeing that athlete, we should be communicating so that we are at least a little prepared for if this person's behind or whatever. And once again, to kind of speak to collaboration, you know, if the PT and the AT are working together with an athlete and they both report back to the physician, hey, this person is behind, here's what we've been doing, the physician then sees like we're doing everything we can. Okay, I'm going to be prepared for what comes in the office and we're going to take it where we can. And then I'm hopefully they're going to communicate back out to those two entities so that they can continue once again, putting that athlete at the center of the care and nobody walking into a little bit of a crap storm that they don't want to walk into. Well, Becca and K2, I very much thank you for joining us on the pod today to discuss kind of that catch-all term of collaboration, which, as Beck alluded to, is so frequently utilized uh, across sports medicine, across medicine, across physical therapy, but really getting down into the nitty-gritty of what that means and the components, again, for a quick recap that we discussed today. It's support, it's teamwork, it's communication, and it's trust. When you work on those four key components, collaboration becomes much more consistent much more effective, and ultimately that makes the athlete who's at the center of this care have the best possible opportunity to achieve the goals that they desire. As always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, additional topic discussions, we are all ears and eager to hear them. So please reach out to us at therapistsinmotion at spoonerpt.com. And thanks for listening. Thank you.
thank you for listening. Please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. 